0: Hey y'all! Welcome to the Letting the Light In podcast. I'm Camry, CamJam, KJP, or Cams, depending on the season we met or the nickname you're most comfortable with. Honestly, this podcast is a little selfish because so much light comes into my life talking to others and marveling at all that can occur. It's my earnest prayer that a little light is let into your day through this conversation. Y'all, today we are truly in for a treat. I have my friend Rob Shear on. Um, Y'all know from listening that if you were a male and you have made it on this podcast, you were extra special, and he definitely fits that bill. I was introduced to Rob, um, not in person, but through his book. It's called A Forever Family, which I cannot wait to pick his brain about later. It is about his experience and journey through the foster care system himself and then his later decision to adopt through the foster care system. Um, It's a beautifully written book. He has an amazing story that I can't wait for y'all to hear. Um, I just was so moved by his graciousness and enthusiasm about talking about his story and and being honest. I actually sent him some some things that I thought that we might cover, and he said, these are great. I'm an open book, and so I have no doubt that today's conversation is really going to bless y'all. Y'all know that my husband and I have wanted to foster for a long time, and so I'm just really excited to learn from him and to hear um, his wisdom having gone through it, and I hope that y'all enjoy. Here's my friend Rob. How are you, Rob?
1: I'm great. I'm great. Thanks good. for asking.
0: Having a good Thursday. What's the weather like where you're at?
1: You know, it's funny. I was just talking to our director of programs and operations about how crazy the weather here is in Maryland. Um, right now, we're about 50 degrees. and Oh, it, my god, I mean, we even got to 70 this week. I mean, it's just... It's definitely not the weather that we're, but I will tell you that in Maryland, the weather is very, um, up and down. So I, okay. the last time I checked, I think we're expecting some snow next week. So. Okay.
0: Well, <laughs> you, you have fifties and I have negative seven wind chill today in Kansas. It's just crazy. Wow. I know. I so know. So what part
1: of, what part of Kansas?
0: So we're in Wichita.
1: Okay. So yes. my husband was born in Kansas city.
0: Really? Um, and he was
1: raised, he was raised in Lawrence and that area. Oh my um, so, gosh. Yeah.
0: Do you guys ever make it back here?
1: You know, we haven't been back in quite a while. My in-laws actually left um, the area and moved to the East Coast to be closer to their grandkids. Okay. So we actually haven't been back there in quite a while, okay. but you know, hoping it's... to. We still have some friends in Kansas. We love Kansas.
0: That's awesome. He he's from a beautiful part. Lawrence is amazing.
1: Yes, it's he so is. So pretty.
0: Okay, well, let's jump right in. You have a, an amazing story. Um, reading your book, I've, I've told my listeners a little bit about um, just your involvement in foster care and in the foster care system. But I just would love to hear um, just a little bit about your childhood. I like I told you in the email, I've read your book, but I bet a lot of my listeners haven't. So, I would just love to hear you talk about um, how you grew up.
1: Well well thank you for giving me this platform you know when you know when we wrote the book a forever family uh, a lot of it was you know i had had a video that came out a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. um, on upworthy and we had over 130 million people view this video and um simon schuster happened to be one of the people who viewed it and said oh my gosh you need to write a book about your life and and i'll tell you i'm i'm a my, by trade, I'm a banker, and I sit behind a desk pushing numbers, and never did I ever think about writing a book. Right. But as I proceeded to tell my story of, of my childhood, I'm the youngest of 10 kids. Um, I had a mother who had been married over six times, and we lived in and out of every shelter in Maryland, Virginia, and D.C. And when I was 12, my parents passed away, and I went to live with a neighbor. And basically, you know, for anyone who understands the definition of kids that are in the system, it's any child who's not living with their parents, whether it's with a relative, relative or a neighbor but you know for me my um then you know what they call foster parents you know I lived with them for quite a few years right. they received their monthly stipend and um when I turned 18 two weeks after my 18th birthday I was a senior in high school it was the fall of my senior year and I became a homeless teenager and I literally lived on the streets my entire senior year of high school
0: that's crazy and so
1: yeah, life was not really good. Yeah. And um but you know what? I truly believe that life is about choices. Yeah. And even though I did not make the choice that ended me up in the system or right. made the choice for my parents to be as abusive as they were and drug addicted, but I had the choice to to whether or not I was going to allow being a homeless teenager to define me. And we have to understand the fact that, you know, here I am the youngest of 10 kids. My brothers and sisters um, at that point, most of them were already in, um, either behind bars or homeless or young teen mothers. Yeah. And, um, for me, it just was like, I deserved more. Yeah. And so I pushed myself and I pushed myself to a point that I wasn't going to allow anyone to define what my future was going to be. And I actually made something on myself and yeah, became a successful businessman and thought I would never look the last thing I was going to do was tell people that, you know, that trash can that you walk by, um, I actually used to eat out of it. And, um, and I was so worried about what people thought about me that, that they would, you know, define me because I wasn't educated and I, you know, had been homeless Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, I had drug addiction problems when I was younger. And and so, but you know, Then all of a sudden, 10 years ago, four of the most amazing children arrived in my home. Um, Within a matter of three months, I went from no kids to four kids. And um, the thing that shocked me is that all four of them carried a trash bag. Yeah. Coming from a, a, a country, by the way, who we are so rich and we always say we take care of each other. But by golly, we do not take care of the kids that are in the foster care system.
0: I agree. I so agree with you. So you you in your book you talk a lot about um, just some some different events in your childhood that um, stood out. At what point, I'm wondering, did I'm you start to Sorry to
1: say this, but you 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 cut out on that whole thing. Oh shoot, I'm sentence, sorry. Okay.
0: Okay, let me start That's over. Okay. Um so you chronicle in your book about um, some events just that you remembered, um, some trauma, some abuse, um, some kind of fork in the road events. Um, at what point in your childhood would you say that you realized, okay, this is not what my friends are experiencing or, or what, at what point were you like, this is not okay, how I'm growing up and what I'm, what I'm seeing in my life.
1: So, so the crazy part about it is from the time I was a little boy, from my earliest childhood i mean i remember my father holding a gun to each of our heads and mm. clicking the trigger and saying which one are we going to shoot first and they would laugh and you know for the longest time i thought that was normal uh. i thought that that's the way families are yeah and it wasn't until i was about 10 or 11 that i realized that whoa wait a minute this isn't the way families are supposed to be right. that when you close the door you're not supposed to beat your kids mm-hmm. and um so when my parents actually died, it was actually a gift
0: for me. Yeah.
1: Um, you know, I was really lucky. I had an amazing foster mother who loved me very, very much. The yeah. problem is she just didn't marry well. Right. And so, um, you know, it was him that, you know, he was the reason that I, I no longer lived in the home. Yeah. And so, but it, I would say I was 10 or 11 when I realized that, you know, this is not the way life is supposed to
0: be. Right. Man, yeah. The when you were writing about those parts in the book, my heart was just breaking because I I would venture to guess that there are a lot of kids experiencing things similar to you and truly just think, oh, this is what life is, you know. And until you're shown something different, I don't think you're maybe as aware of what you could what what's an alternative um, life that you could be living. So, man, yeah, you were breaking my heart.
1: Well, you know, I will tell you, it it I would many a night that I was in a fetal position when this book was being written. Yeah. And um, and I have to tell you that I am absolutely grateful that I have amazing therapists. Yeah. Because I truly do believe that therapy has gotten me through this. Yeah. And um and if you ask my husband, he will tell you the same thing.
0: I bet. I bet. At what was were there any points where you were like, I'm not gonna do it. Like it's not worth it. This is too hard. This is bringing up too much stuff. About every other
1: chapter. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know what? what would happen was I would look at my children and you know, and I said this to you earlier that, you know, I did not write this book for anyone yeah. except for my children.
0: Absolutely. Um
1: because, you know, my children are now they're fourteen, twelve, eleven, and ten and they're still too young to read the book. Mm-hmm. But I do know that when they do read the book, what I hope that they walk away from this is that their dads are doers, yeah. that we just didn't talk about it that we actually do. Right. And um and so I, I wrote this book for them and, yeah. and again I've had a tremendous amount of support from the book, but I've also had a tremendous amount of backlash. Right. Um, you know, the fact that people, I've had people, you know, reach out to me and say that the book should have been fiction, that they don't believe it all happened. And wow. I'm like, well, you know, first <laughs> of all, I can tell you right now that Simon & Schuster and Derek Jeter would not put their name on the book if they had not done their background and made sure that everything was accurate. No kidding. Um, but, you know, My story is just one of thousands and thousands and thousands of children who enter our system every single day. Mm -hmm. The problem is that these are disposable kids, we think, and we think that these are invisible children. And the thing is that they're not. They're not. They are our future. And at the end of the day, they belong to you. They belong to me. They belong to all of us because they've been put in a system because of choices that other people made.
0: Right. That's so true. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So we're, we're talking about your kids and, and let's get to the point where you and your husband, you're deciding to start a family and you write in the book about how, um, and you touched on a little bit earlier, how, when you got out of the system, you were like, I'm never looking back. I'm never considering that again. But when y'all decide to start your family, somehow foster, the foster care system gets brought back, back up. So what did those conversations sound now, like?
1: Let me, let me tell you something that all had to do with Reese. Um, I had, I was adamant that we were not going to adopt out of the system yeah. because again, I grew up in the system and I knew about the system and right. and, um, and it was a Saturday morning that we were sitting watching a morning news show and um, a local celebrity, Barbara Harrison came on and she was talking about a kid that was in the system. And mm-hmm. I remember Reese looking at me and saying, you know, again, why are we not adopting a kid out of foster care? Right. And and I, and I said to him, I said, you know, I told you we're not allowed to talk about that. And he said, you know, mm-hmm. maybe that's the problem. Yeah. He's like, maybe, you know. And I just was, it was that light bulb moment, that aha moment where you're just like, God, what a failure. Yeah. You know, it didn't matter how much money was in my checking account or how big my home was or how many amazing trips my, my husband and I went on. I had failed my community. And when I say my community, I mean the hundreds of thousands of children in the system. Mm-hmm. Because I was embarrassed of where I came from yeah um, then why should they have any pride of where they are right um and so so that's when we decided that we were going to adopt by the way, one child um in from the <laughs> foster care system little would i ever imagine that you know that we would end up with four children yes. all within the less of three months that so is, it was amazing that's nuts
0: yeah that's that's going zero to a 100 from man from zero <laughs> to four and like not like grown kids you know you had no little bitty kids which can you tell had, us about meeting them for each of them for the yes, first time
1: Yeah, so when the the first night that, and by the way, it's been 10 years um, since the children arrived in our home, and I will never forget the first night that Maya and Micaiah entered our home. You know, here was this four-year-old little girl and her two-year-old little brother, her two-year-old little brother, which, by the way, looked like he was maybe not even a year old. Wow. He had, um, at the time, they had diagnosed him with everything under the sun, but um, we have found out later that Mackay actually has fetal alcohol syndrome okay. and so actually which is a diagnosis that I think is worse than anything you could actually give a child because there's no pill that we can give Mackay to help him. Mackay's frontal lobe will never develop. Okay. He will always have short term memory loss he will always um, be a child who will probably live with us or live with under some type of supervision but okay. that's okay because yeah. he's my son right. and I love him you know he he, he is taught me how to be a better human yeah so but they arrived all both of them carrying trash bags Mm -hmm. you know um they had didn't even have their own toothbrush. They've been in several other foster homes, too, which was shocking to yeah. me that they not only had trash bags, but didn't even have toothbrushes, didn't even have decent pajamas. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you know, what the hell are we doing? Right. And then, you know, but we just started that let's be parents. And, and we got a call that two more boys were available. And and we were so attached to Amaya and that and we really thought that they were going to be reunified with their parents that we were like, okay, let's take... Grayson and Tristan, and so we ended up taking a six-month-old and a two-year-old, so here all of a sudden, we had a six-month-old, two two-year-olds, one who special needs, and a four-year-old, yeah. so three in diapers, um, under just the age crazy. of four, and it was nuts, but you know what, we just... Became a family of six. Yeah. And we just said, we're going to do this. And we've done it. Let me tell you, the road has not been easy. Yes. I mean, being two white men adopting four African American children. Right. Um, It's been very hard and the, between the racial slurs and the the, the bigotry and the hate that we have received over the years, but that doesn't weigh compared to the love Mm -hmm. that we have received. Mm -hmm. Not only the love from our community, but the love from our four children. You know, they don't care that they have two dads. They don't care that we're white. What they care is the fact that we love them unconditionally.
0: Right. Which I was going to ask you, it seems you got those children extremely quickly. And so I'm wondering, as you're talking, were you and Maurice even able to have conversations about, like, okay, what are the consequences of adopting kids that are different race than us? Or was it just so quick that you were like, okay, we'll figure it out, you know, when, when we have to cross that bridge?
1: you know what, when the children arrived in our home I will have to say to you and and I know some people will say yeah whatever (laughs) Um, we really didn't think about the race part, we didn't think about the same sex marriage part what we thought about were here were four young people right. who needed a forever home yeah who needed someone to love them who needed someone to make them feel safe right who needed someone that's what we all needed yeah. and um and to me that was the most important thing yeah um it did we we never thought about and by the way we didn't think anything about the race thing until everybody else started bringing
0: it right out. Right. Um, you know and and and
1: one thing I will tell you is that I never want anyone to say they don't see color because Mm -hmm. if you say you don't see color, then you don't see my children. Right. Okay. My children are of color and Mm -hmm. we must see them. But what I don't, want people to do is is mix up not seeing their color and understanding what they really need. And I think we do that too often. Absolutely. Um, and so when I say that we didn't think about the, the race part, you know, our biggest focus was to make them feel that they were safe. Mm-hmm. Because they had been in so many different foster homes that they didn't feel safe yeah. and we needed them to
0: feel safe. Yes. You talk about in the book um the I think it was Amaya Mackay, the woman that they lived with um, before you guys were able to adopt them. It was like kind of like a uh, grandmother. Grandma, grandma, yes,
1: yeah. Grandma Kalfi. Yes,
0: yep. can you tell us about her, please? Yep, yep. Grandma
1: Kalfi. Um, you know, we we truly do believe that. You know, can you hear me? Yes. Did that cut off? No, you're good. Hello.
0: Can you? I can hear you.
1: I Think we lost you again? Yep, I can hear you now. So um, so we truly. Yep, I'm here. I'm here. Okay. So I tr- we truly believe that you know children for children to to really thrive in in a setting which our children you know, came from, is it's very important that they have a very strong foundation. And it's one of the things I talk about in the book is that we have done such a disservice to kids who are in the system mm-hmm. by ripping them away from families that they've been with, whether that's birth families or whether that's families that are considered foster parents. It is very important that we become healthier when it comes to relationships. And that's something that Reese and I always wanted to make sure that we did, which by the way, it, it was very uncommon, you know, when, when we were doing this, where, you know, I remember social workers saying to us, why are you talking to the former foster parents? Or why are you petitioning the courts to for you to be an advocate for the birth parents? Right. And it was like, but that's what you're supposed to do. Yeah. See, the thing is, is that when my children get older, I hope that they turn around and they look at us and they say, you know what, you never kept us from our birth parents. Right. Our birth parents kept themselves from us because of choices they made. Absolutely. You know, it's, it's, so we live in an area where we have what they call closed adoptions. So legally we never would have to, to, talk about the birth parents at all. Okay. we um, If you pull up my children's birth certificates, it doesn't list that they are adopted or list their birth parents. It only lists Reese and I. Wow. But the thing that we said to each one of the parents is that we want you to be a part of your children's lives. Mm-hmm. We want you to come and break bread at our table, enjoy birthday parties, enjoy milestone celebrations. Mm-hmm. But to do that, You must first get yourself in check. Yeah. I need you to go to anger management courses. I need you to go to drug rehab if you had drug issues. I need you to make sure that you become better humans so you can be better humans for your children. Mm -hmm. For sure. The sad part is it's been 10 years and in 10 years we have a great grandmother and a great aunt that we have amazing relationships with mm, that we talk sweet. to the great grandma. We talk to almost on a weekly basis. Um, and we see them quite often, but not one birth parent has ever taken us up on this. Wow. Um, they are so, you know, worried about themselves that they haven't really grown up enough to say, wow, this isn't about us anymore. Yeah. This is about our children. Right. Um, and hopefully that day will come, but if it doesn't, My children will never say that their dads kept them from their birth parents. Their birth parents kept them away because of choices they made.
0: Yeah. Which you, you chronicle, um, very in depth too in the book, the process of adopting and just how, um, tedious that was and going to court date after court date and, and honestly having the fear at at some point that you wouldn't be able to adopt them. Um, would you say that that was a fear that you had going in or was it something that quickly happened after you realized you were attached to these kids or can you tell us a little bit about that process?
1: Let me tell you, I was fearful from that from the very moment that I signed my name on the dotted line to be a foster parent, <laughs> yeah. because I knew about the system. The problem was that I had an amazing husband who wasn't real educated about the system, but was educated enough to know that he knew that these kids needed a home, even if it was for one day. Right. Um, and so that to me was, was that, which got me through this. I mm-hmm. mean, um, there are many times, and I write about it in the book where, you know, standing at the room of my my children and looking at them before a court hearing, knowing that that judge could easily say that the kids had to leave and what was I going to do. Right. Um, But you know what? The fact is, is that Reese taught me that we cannot live in the what ifs. Mm -hmm. We have to live in the moment. And the moment was that those kids needed us at that moment. So we're very lucky that, you know, they still need us.
0: Yes, they do. (laughs) Hard to imagine some more than others most days. <laughs>
1: yes. Yes.
0: Okay. So you, at the very end of the book, you talk about, um, moving to a farm with a very a specific um, intention. Yeah. Can you tell us why <laughs> in the heck do y'all live on a farm? Oh gosh.
1: We live on a farm. We live on a farm. <laughs> we have, um, we have, um, a little over 30 chickens. We oh my have, gosh. um, we have four goats since the book came out, we've adopted a pig named Penelope. um, but what happened was our son, Makai, who, again, you know, as I talk about in the book, right. you know, having having fetal alcohol and, and you know, what that entails. And Makai, and this was a little over five years ago, Makai was barely getting by. He was barely able to say complete sentences. Um, at that particular moment, I had never heard Mackay look at me and say, I love you. He had never given my husband or I what we consider a front hug. He only hugged with his back. Mm. And um, so every single day, Reese, who had given up his career to be a stay-at-home dad, was trying to find ways that we could get through to Mackay. And one day, Reese had read an article about a little girl who was being raised on a farm who had fetal alcohol syndrome and how it helped her frontal lobe. Mm. And um, so I came home from work and, and, um, I came home from work and lo and behold, um, <laughs> recent handed me an article and said, read this. And I read it and I said, Oh my gosh, I said, what do you think we should do? And he said, here's five farms for sale. Oh my gosh. And literally we sold our home, bought a farm, had no idea about farming. We had never, both of us are city boys basically. Right. so, um, but you know what? I have a son who will now look at you and talk in a complete sentence. That's I have amazing. a son for the first time a couple of years ago ran across the field with a chicken under his arms oh. and said, Daddy, I love you. Oh, wow. And I have a son who on a, on a date basis gives his dad and I hugs Mm. and it has changed his life and as hard as it is to live on a farm because I will tell you (laughs) it's not easy we we can our own vegetables Reese has a huge garden and we now can our own vegetables our goats have given birth and so we've we we've raised these two twin goats and you know our chicken just hatched 10 eggs the other day it's constantly something happening on the farm um But what we have is we have a son who, as we call him our chicken whisperer, (laughs) he knows every chicken's name, um, he has a sense of belonging, and that to us is worth everything.
0: That's amazing. So you've touched a little bit earlier about um, the, just the book writing process and how your therapist was huge and your husband's support. Um, what overall was that process like for you? Was it hard to remember some of the things that they were asking you to write about? I, I have dreams of writing a book one day, and I just love to hear people talk about what it's actually like. Um, you
1: know like. what? I, I was very, very lucky that I have a biological sister that is my an older sister, that her and I are very close, and um, she, um, really helped me a lot. Um, you know, a lot of it I remembered, but you know, I always would run stuff by her right. just to make sure. Cause there were, sometimes I would say, Oh my gosh, how could this actually have happened? And my sister would say it did though. It did. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, yeah, it, it was, you know, I, I will tell you when you, when you've lived such a traumatic ex- upbringing as I did as a child, it's very hard not to forget.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I, like I told you at the very beginning, I just appreciate your honesty and your openness to share all that because I know that it wasn't easy. And, and like you said, you've, you've gotten some flack for telling your story, so I'm thankful that you did. Um, my husband and I actually want to foster, and so now I just kind of want to pick your brain about misconceptions that people have about the system, um, maybe some fears that you had going in or some things maybe that you wish you would have known just before entering this process. Cause we're very, very early on our house is um, going to get certified in the next month. And so I just would yeah. love to hear, um, yes, just advice that
1: was so hard. So we lived in the inner city of DC okay. when we started this process. And I will tell you that I find it absolutely horrific that what people have to go through to become foster parents, yeah, I agree. um, we should allow birth parents to, go through the same exact thing by the way Um, but at the end of the day I completely understand it was not an easy process Mm -hmm. and I hope that between my book and the advocacy work that I'm trying to do in reference to our our system that we try to streamline this process Mm -hmm. more Um, I do believe that we always should have the well-being of the children in mind but the one thing that I always fear and I see this quite often is um, so many times I've seen foster homes that i say to myself i wouldn't even allow my dog to stay there but i see social workers have to look that over because they need a home so bad right but i will tell you some of the things that i think people need to understand is that number one these are not bad kids right there's no such thing as a bad kid it's only a kid that needs to be redirected yeah number two you know what we have to realize that the the, the current situation of our children in the system could not be any worse. Mm-hmm. So we need loving homes. The fact that people think that, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have a child come into my home. And then all of a sudden the parents' rights are going to be terminated and I'm going to be able to adopt them. But then the parents going to be able to yank them back and take them. No, that's not true. That's right. not the way the system works. You know, I'm a true believer in reunification, but we have to realize that reunification doesn't always happen. Right. And so, you know, and what I tell every single foster parent that I speak to is that if you can change a child's life for just one day, yeah. just one day, what a difference you've made for that child. Right. What a difference, you know. Right. So when they push, the child pushes you away, pull them closer. Mm-hmm. When the You know, because you have to realize that these kids are used to heartache. Right. They're used to people letting them down. Yeah. You have to, you know, be there for them and let them know that you're going to be there for
0: them. Right.
1: Yeah. Um, and the other thing I will tell you that I can't stand is don't ever call them a foster child. Mm. At least never in front of them. Yes. They're children. Absolutely. They're children. Yeah. I There's loved... nothing that's more hurtful when when I and I've heard it happen and I've heard kids who are in the system say to me, I wish they would just stop calling me a foster kid. Oh, wow. Why can't they just call me a kid? Oh. And that's exactly what they are. Yeah. And we have to remember that. So we try to make sure that the language here comfort cases is that we call them children that are in the foster care system right. these are children that are that are in the foster care system we do not call them foster kids
0: yes no that's that's a huge i think shift and to, to your point it really does impact the child if they're hearing that constantly it you know it probably impacts their sense of belonging or that their identity um so i think something that i'm a little fearful of just heading into it is the bonding aspect, kind of like, and you touched on a little bit earlier where you said, you know, if they're pushing you away, keep, keep trying, keep hugging. Um, What advice would you give as far as somebody who's thinking about fostering or adopting and is just kind of scared that they won't bond with the kids or that um, it'll be a difficult process?
1: Well, first of all, I will tell you that anybody who's making the decision to become a foster parent already is bonded. And I will tell you that because Mm. you already in your heart is open enough to love and that's the most important thing. And does it take time? You better believe it. You know, I mean, we did bonding. If you read in the book we talk about, we actually did bonding study experts. We had them come in um, and our children were amazingly bonded with us. But it didn't happen overnight. Right. You know, um, my children had been with us for months before my daughter looked up at us one one day one evening we were reading her a book and she said I'm going to call you daddy and you dada uh-huh. and at that moment I realized how bonded I was with my daughter right um you know you you just you can't push it and that's the thing that I think and and the other thing that I can tell you is that realize that these children have a past Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. they have a past they have a past and they also have biological parents and you have to let them talk about that I have some kids who are in foster homes where the foster parents don't want them to talk about their past don't want them to talk about their biological parents Mm -hmm. and I'm like but that's part of them. Yeah. They have to feel that that's healthy to talk about that. Yeah, and they're good. allowed to be angry. They're allowed to be upset. Yeah. No matter what you give them, they're allowed to have emotions.
0: Right. That's good. That's really good advice, especially about talking about the past. Cause I think as you know, your fear would be, Oh, well, if they're talking about their other life, then they don't love me as much or they don't want to be in this family. And I'm, I'm thankful that you said that cause I think that's very important.
1: Let me tell you, my youngest son, Tristan, he is 10 years old, yeah. and just the other day, he was sitting talking with my husband and I, and he, he said, Daddy, why, haven't, why hasn't my mommy ever contacted me? Mm. Now, mind you, he's been with me since he's been six months old, but right. you know what? He realizes that he has a mom. Yeah. He realizes that, you know, and so I had to talk to him about choices, but what I allowed him to do was I allowed him to express his anger, his mm-hmm. disappointment, his hurt. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And then he was okay. Yeah. But the thing is, is I didn't say to him, "We're not going to talk about that." Yeah. Or she's a bad woman. No, she's not a bad woman. Right. She just made some bad choices. Right. Absolutely. She's not a bad person. Yes. You
0: know, yeah. To your comment earlier about life is, you know, our choices, and no, that's, that's good, sweet Tristan. Okay. You are the founder and CEO of Comfort Cases, which you touched on a little bit earlier, but would just love to hear um, your heart behind that work and and what does a day in your life of working there look like now?
1: Wow. So, So I I am the founder of a charity my husband and I started five years ago called Comfort Cases. We're actually a national charity. Um, And what we do is we provide hope and dignity to our foster youth. And how we do that is by giving them a comfort case. And the comfort case consists of a brand-new pair of pajamas, a toothbrush, a bar of soap, shampoo, lotion, conditioner, a book of their own, a blanket, an activity. And we also give them what we call a comfort access. which is a 32 inch duffel bag and the reason we give them all of that is because no child should ever carry a trash bag and that's what we allow kids to carry in the system we started the charity five years ago just because we wanted to teach our kids that as leaders and i believe that each and every one of us are leaders we do not have the right to sit on the sidelines and watch a game being played we have to get in and play we have to get in and shake it up and so the, the trash bag has weighed heavy on me. I carried a trash bag as a young boy. My four children arrived carrying a trash bag. Mm-hmm. And as I did more and more research, I was realizing that thousands and thousands and thousands of kids were carrying trash bags. Yeah. So we decided at first we were going to help some local kids in the system. Little did I know that five years later, we are a 95% volunteer-ran charity. We have delivered over 44,000 Cases in 43 states, DC and Puerto Rico, amazing. and we've done all of this with no corporate sponsors. Wow. We've done all of this because of the love of our community. And by the way, your community is not your zip code, it's your human race. Mm. So we have received donations from every state and every continent, and um, it's just been amazing. You know, we have four and a half employees, and I'm not one of them. <laughs> um, I actually I actually took a leave of absence from my job as a banker for 25 years to to um, be on a book tour and to really focus on changing the foster care system. Oh, that's amazing, um, Rob. So yeah, so I, I took the leap of faith, and it's it's paid off. Yeah. And So right now, I'm, I'm so so humbled to watch our charity grow, but I'm also. St- excited to be able to have people like you who want to talk about you know the wrong that we've done for so many years and how we can make it right
0: yes no I 100% agree with you okay last thing before we get to the questions at the end so I actually put on my Instagram story that I was going to have you on and one of my friends responded and said she said I saw him on the Ellen show she was like they have such (laughs) an amazing story so you guys were on the Ellen show
1: we were, we were, we were on Ellen. I mean, we've been very lucky. We've been, you know, everything from People Magazine, the Today Show, and then the, the, the cream of the crop, we were on Ellen. Um, yes. And it was absolutely amazing. She is as nice as what everybody thinks she um, is. I love She was very that. generous to our charity. She was very kind to our children. Um, but the fact is, is that it actually also got people to continue to talk about what we all should be talking about, which are our children you know you have to look at the number where we're talking 438,000 kids are in the system Mm -hmm. that only 54 percent of them will graduate from high school only 11 percent of them apply to college and only two percent get a four-year degree this is unacceptable and at the end of the day Two out of three kids in the system will be dead or in jail. Mm. So we have to decide what we're going to do. And and platforms like this, like Ellen, like people, the Today Show, is giving me the platform to say to people, you know what? I'm a kid from the system. Right. You know, and I made it. Let's help everyone else make it. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, I tell people go to comfortcases.org, see how they can impact their community, and really demand change because we owe it to those kids. They're our children.
0: Yeah. No, that's, those, I mean, those statistics are devastating. I think I read a few of them in your book, but, and, and I just appreciate that you are, you know, you have come from the system. And so you have a certain credibility that, you know, me talking about it doesn't have because you are somebody that's, you know, gone through the things that those kids um, are experiencing every single day. So I'm thankful for the work that you're doing. You
1: know, and, the, and people talk about, you know, I look at the kids who are going to age out of the system. This year alone, we are estimated to have about 30,000 children who will age out of the system. And the wow. sad part is, is those kids will age out of the system with no support whatsoever, no adult help guiding them. And 70%, 70% of the 30,000 will be homeless within oh. two years.
0: Homeless. Oh, my goodness yeah we've
1: got to do something we have got to do something better than we've been doing for all of these years and I know we can do it I know we can do it the fact is is that this is what it takes people like you and I talking about it Mm -hmm. to get other people to hear to say wait a minute we've got to do something about these statistics are horrific um and by the way if you don't do something today you're going to do something in the future because it's already been proven that over 80% of the prison population are people that were touched by the foster care system. Wow. Over 80%. And the thing is, is that the only thing that we are doing is we are graduating these kids from a foster care system that is shattered to a prison system that is absolutely
0: horrific. Oh yeah, it, we, it is. We've it's,
1: got to give it It's better. so bad. Got to give it better.
0: I agree. And I mean, talk about, the horrifying statistics. The prison ones are terrible too. I mean, worse in the uh, world. I think. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah, awful. not good. Okay, let's get to the fun stuff. We'll get to the questions yeah, at the let's end. Do okay, it. if you were taking yourself out on a date, what would you do?
1: Get some sleep. <laughs> Yeah, sure. Anyone who follows me on social media will know that I'm a nonstop Energizer Bunny. Um, I, I actually just got back from filming a show called Vacations of the Brave for Amazon. Wow. And someone said to me, when do you ever sleep? And I'm like, I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> so if I was taking myself out on a date, I would go eat some sushi and then get some sleep. So good. I
0: love that answer. Someone or something you don't get tired of.
1: My children.
0: Mm, that's so sweet. Are they are each talking
1: the, about foster care?
0: Yeah. I love that. Are each of their personalities very different? Oh my gosh.
1: They're all four as different as night and day. Mm. So understanding I have a 14 year old, a 12 year old, 11 year old, and a 10 year old, and they are all each and every one of them are as different as night and day. Yeah. And I love that. I love that. I that love the cool. fact that they're each individuals.
0: Yes, for sure. And y'all have cultivated those identities. That's really cool. What's something, it can be a book, a podcast, TV show, anything, that you have found yourself recommending to people lately?
1: Wow. I will have to say this, and I hate to say it, but recommending my book, A Forever Family, (laughs) you know, Fostering Change, One Child at a Time. I I say that because the book has so much it can give an individual, whether it's understanding the foster care system, whether it's talking about, you know, how do we find – Love diversity mm-hmm. um, You know I've had people who've reached out to me And said hey I've always thought The same sex marriages was so wrong And then they write my book And they were like wow you two are just like My husband and I mm-hmm. You know and and it is right We are just like that So I will have to say I gotta recommend A forever family <laughs> on Amazon all your local bookstores
0: I would recommend it too I can get behind that <laughs> Would your high school self have believed You are where you are now
1: Yes Yes. Because I remember when I was homeless and I would I would sleep in this abandoned bathroom behind mm. the, the El Taco and I remember looking in the mirror almost on a daily basis and I would say to myself, You deserve better. Yeah. You deserve better. And sure enough, I made sure I got better. Mm, And so I think my high school self would believe where I'm at and high five me like I've never been high
0: five before. Right. That's so cool. And just that, that deep belief that you had in yourself that was, it seems, you know, unflinching. That's really cool, Rob. Okay, last one. What does letting the light in mean to you?
1: Oh, gosh. Letting the light in. You know, I think the fact that I think for so many years for me myself and i think for so many other people is that we walk around with this wall up Mm -hmm. and we walk around with this wall up trying to make sure that we're something to make someone else happy and i think that if you just make yourself happy you let that light in Mm. that wall comes down and people can see that they can see how genuine you are they can see the fact that you know you're vulnerable um and that's good for people to see that um it's something that i i try to live by and i try to raise my children the same exact way
0: Mm, that's so sweet rob i cannot say thank you enough thank you for taking the time to do this in your busy schedule thank you for writing the book thank you for fostering and kind of paving the way for all of us that um are wanting to do that i just am so thankful for this time and and your words and i'll be coming back to this episode for all of its wisdom um time and time again so thank you so very much
1: Well, listen, we are now connected. So as you're going through this journey, I'm only an email away. You know, I wish, you know, one of the things that you had asked me, was about what would I would like when I, we were starting to do this, we had no support. And, and that is something that I really want to see change is I want to see, you know, people like you and your husband who, you know, are going to have a ton of questions and, and you're, you know. I want you to know that there's a team of people out here that want to help this be smooth yeah. for you. So mm. I'm an email away. That's so Ask kind.
0: Away. You are Ask the best, away, and I'm very excited. Oh, you're you're the best. Thank you so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.